You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. The time has come for America to hear the truth. We are going to stand with them, and not only are we going to fight for their rights, but we're going to stand up for our rights here in our state, in our homes, and in our community. labor's rights in the United States of America is not going to be decided in the courts. It's not going to be decided in Congress. It's not going to be decided on talk radio, and it sure is not going to be decided on Fox News. Solidarity This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator Adam Keller. It is Saturday, July 17th, 2021, and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio on WVNN in the Huntsville, Decatur, Athens listening area from Athens, Alabama. A recording of this program will play tomorrow, Sunday, July 18th, 2021, on the great WGOL in Russellville, Alabama, and sometime next week on WHIV in New Orleans, Louisiana. Today, uh, we don't have a guest, so we'll be taking calls. Get that number ready. It's 1-866-494-9866. The 2,900-worker Volvo strike in Virginia is over. We'll be giving you a short debrief. We'll be bringing you some of the latest in Southern Labor and Huntsville. We'll be talking about the recent hope for passage of the PRO Act and more on today's Valley Labor Report. If you want to see what we are up to throughout the week and get our snide quips about the news of the day, then you should follow us on social media. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Valley Labor Report. We're on Twitter at Labor Reporters. I'm on Twitter at Jacob M underscore AL. And if you missed part of the show and want to go back and watch it later, you can search YouTube for The Valley Labor Report and subscribe to our channel. You can go back and watch the full show there, and we also clip segments and release them throughout the week. We do upload the program on more than 11 different podcasting apps. So to see if we are on your listening platform of choice, you can go to thevalleylaborreport.transistor.fm slash subscribe. We've got a website where you can buy our hats and our stickers. Our hats are almost gone, folks. We've only got 15 left. 15 hats left. If you want to get one of those, make sure you go to our website and get you one. That is thevalleylaborreport.org. They are $35. Shipping is included for a good American union-made hat. And finally... If you appreciate our work and you want to help us stay on the air, then consider throwing us a couple dollars a month on patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. Uh, Before we get into the Volvo debrief... um, I did want to say that the North Alabama DSA uh, is not is not doing their necessities drive this week. They have moved to only doing that once per month. So we will let you know what Saturday that is. Uh, Next month, it is going to be August the 14th, I believe, is what I remember hearing uh, from the folks that we know in North Alabama DSA. So uh, 
So wanted to make sure you know that because we usually shout that out and uh, we'll remind you on August 14th when they're doing another necessities drive. <clears throat> so, uh, good morning, Adam. Good morning, good morning. Volvo Trucks has a manufacturing plant in Dublin, Virginia. They manufacture actually all of the Volvo trucks that are sold in North America, which is very cool. That is based, as the kids say. And UAW Local 2069 represents 2,900 workers at this facility. Uh, There are about 3,300 workers total there, and UAW Local 2069 represents 2,900 of them. As regular listeners of the show will know all of the nearly 3,000 UAW members have been on and off strike, uh, mostly on, but some off strike since April the 17th, not long after the UMWA strike here in Alabama began. Uh, So it it, it finished last week with an extremely close ratification vote under uh, some... Let's say for the moment, we'll get into it more later, but uh, uh, less than good conditions, um, we'll say. So uh, let's, let's back up just a bit and explain why were they on strike. Uh, the first reason was that healthcare costs uh, ray, were, were, were risen considerably uh, from the previous contract uh, to $2,000 a year with a $4,000 deductible, uh, which is much higher than they were paying um, before, and that's no good. That's no good, folks. There were some other reasons, though, that they were on strike, which included uh, the work, which, so, and and this, for folks in unions, you know what this language means, the two tiers. Under the current contract, under the previous contract is what that means, workers are divided into two tiers. The, and, and this information, uh, the, the next bit of information comes from Labor Notes, a Labor Notes article. They've had some good articles on this strike. So uh, if you're not subscribed to Labor Notes, to their print edition, and you've got the money, you should do that. It's a very good publication they come out with. And, and it's funny because uh, we, oh, and also we were planning on talking to uh, Rhonda Sisk this morning. She's a member of UAW 2069. We were planning on talking to her this morning, but she has had bronchitis and it flared up uh, quite a bit this morning. So she was unable to to jump on the call with us, which is very unfortunate. Wishing her uh, speedy recovery with that. It does not sound fun. Glad it's not COVID, but um, you know, uh, hopefully she has a speedy recovery there. So, so I had to do a little bit of, you know, a little bit of digging because I was hoping to get most of it from her. So I did some digging and it's really amazing amazing how few details that you get in almost any article about a strike because I wanted to be able to present you with and I and I will shortly I wanted to be able to present you with okay why were these workers on strike because I think that's important especially for folks who don't have the that, that's not their kind of mentality. You're not in a union workplace. So, like, people going on strike in and of itself is a strange thing to a lot of people. And so you want to know why they're on strike. And almost every single article on this strike does not explain at all what these workers' grievances are. It just says, oh, they went on strike. And that's it. And it's amazing. And Labor Notes was basically the only place that really went into detail about it. So, uh, you know... Read labor notes is what I'm trying to say. But anyway, 
Under the current contract, the one that expired um, as they went into negotiations that they went into strike over, workers are divided into two tiers. The first tier being core employees, those with more than 15 years of seniority and competitive. Uh, new hires start at $16.77 and get a dollar more each year for five years up to $21.77, which is far less than the core top pay of $30 an hour. Under the rejected agreement, which uh, under the first rejected agreement, which was actually rejected by a percent of 90% to 10% for it, 90% against it, 10% for it. Um, under the reject that rejected agreement, there are raises, but tiers are there to stay. The division of the workers into multiple groups were there to stay in the uh in, in that agreement, so that is that is very not good. Uh, and and but the, there are there are some raises, and the new hires in one assembler classification, for example, would get up to twenty seven dollars by twenty twenty six instead of twenty one dollars and seventy seven cents, which does seem like that accounts for inflation and a little bit more. But still, the people who are in the better tier are going to be getting significantly more which is you don't want that because that creates a division in the workplace and for what reason for the boss additionally language in the rejected agreement would have allowed union officials to agree to an unspecified alternate work schedule such as four 10-hour days alternate shift operations or other alternate schedules based on the needs of the business uh Time and a half pay over eight hours in a day would be gone. And these alternative uh, work schedules are popular with management at the big three automakers. And as one can imagine, especially the lack of control that you have over these alternative work schedules is very unpopular with auto workers. It's one thing to say, I want to choose a 410 schedule or a 312 schedule or swing shifts for maybe additional, you know, time and a half pay or, or something like that. That that's one thing to give workers an option to do that, but it's a totally different thing for management to have the authority under a contract to say to workers, this is what you're going to do and you know, you can kiss my bum basically. Yet another clause that was unpopular among the Reagan filers. And this information from Labor Notes is also, which this this goes into why the strike failed. This was gathered just from Rankin filers because the bargaining committee was extremely not transparent in the bargaining process. They were very tight-lipped about their bargaining goals. So this was just gathered from talking to rank and filers on the picket line about why they voted the contract down initially. There was no like the official communication from the union was very very tight-lipped, which is it's difficult to rally support as one can imagine around a fight in a community and across the country when a union is not being transparent even with their own members, much less with the broader public. So another clause would have made workers take 40 hours of vacation in order to use FMLA, the Family Medical Leave Act, uh, uh, which is why should you have to use 40 hours of vacation in order to use your uh, to, to use your FMLA leave? That doesn't make sense. Uh, 
also a worker in the second tier, quote unquote, competitive classification who asked that his name not be given to labor notes uh, for you know protection of his anonymity, said that he wants a contract like UAW's at Mack Trucks, which is also owned by Volvo in Pennsylvania. Uh which they said is like 40 times better. The contract there was one after a strike in fall of 2019, and he wants to see all workers, instead of having two tiers, he wants to see all workers reach top pay after three years of work. Um, and this is compared to in the 1970s, uh, before the era of concessions by workers began, new hires reached top pay after 90 days, right? So this this kind of puts into context... Um, what workers are fighting for. They're fighting for much less than they used to have while, while management is making off like bandits. And so these are those were the things that they were on strike for and why they rejected the initial agreement by such a large margin. Um, and uh, uh, so what happened? On April 17th, uh, they went on strike. Then they, re- uh, they rejected the agreement and they rejected other agreements Two more times. So in total, they rejected contract agreements three times. The membership did first by a 90 to 10 margin, again by a 90 to 10 margin, and then by a 60 to 40 margin. And finally, on a fourth vote, um, uh, on on the language that was exactly the same as the third vote. Workers accepted by 17 votes. It was almost a 50-50 split, just a razor-thin margin of acceptance. Um, And so what did the final contract look like uh, and what changed in in the workers? What made them accept it that that they weren't happy with before? Well, the final contract actually, unfortunately, looked a lot like the first one that they rejected. I think there were some nominal increases – uh, to wages, maybe some nominal decreases to healthcare costs, but the big issues were still there, which is very unfortunate for their workers and their families and their communities. Uh, and and the big one of the biggest issue which auto workers across the country are facing is tears. Tears is still there, which is just incredibly unfortunate. And tears are bad because it divides. The workforce, when you've got these two sets of people doing the exact same job, uh, getting paid different things, you're obviously going to uh, – it's going to be bad for <laughs> cohesion among the workers, right? If you're looking across the line and somebody's making the the doing the exact same thing you are, but they're making $10 an hour more, you're going to be pissed at that person instead of at the boss, which is who you need to be pissed at. Um, and, and that's by design, and so that's why tears are bad. So – What changed for the workers that made them accept this contract that they overwhelmingly voted against only a couple months ago? Well, we're going to talk about that on the other side of the break and talk about um, some nuances in the labor movement. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. All workers deserve fair wages, affordable health care, and a retirement plan that enables them to retire with dignity. All workers deserve to have a say about the terms and conditions of their employment, not just the bosses. With the machinist unions... The American Federation of Government Employees, AFGE, Local 1858, believes all workers are entitled to fairness, dignity, and respect. AFGE also knows that the best way to guarantee proper treatment is for workers to stand together, united, looking out for each other. 
In AFGE, we fight for workers every day to ensure a workplace that is safe and free from harassment. If you're a federal employee and want to be a part of this union to protect yourself and your fellow workers, call 256-876-4880. Jacob Morrison. I'm here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller, and we are talking about the Volvo strike. If you want to get in, the phone number is 1-866-494-9866. Again, that phone number is 1-866-494-9866. So, um, in, in, on, the, on the other side of the break, and if you missed it, you can go and... and Find us on YouTube, the Valley Labor Report, um, and and you can go back and watch the full show there. But on the other side of the break, we talked about some of the things that the workers themselves went on strike for and how, unfortunately, when they accepted it on the fourth fourth vote, um, uh, the big issues were not that different. There wasn't a whole lot of movement by the company. And so then the question arises, well, what changed to make workers, the same workers who rejected this agreement by 90% to 10%, what made them accept it? Well, you've got uh, three, you've got three things as I, as I see it. You've got employer intimidation. uh, You've got a lack of support from the union itself, from the international, from the local, and a lack of transparency. So let's talk about the union side, then we're going to talk about the employer side, and then we've got some stuff about where where does that leave workers who don't have unions, where does that leave the workers at Volvo Trucks, specifically uh, moving forward, right? Because we're going to lay out some issues with the union, with their, with their strategy here, um, and uh, and so what does that mean for people? Does that mean that all unions are bad? Does that mean, even mean that this union is fundamentally bad and that workers should turn in their cards? Well, I'll give you a spoiler. The answer is no, but let's let's talk about that for just a second. On the union side, like I mentioned before, the bargaining was incredibly, incredibly opaque, even for the UAW. Um, and it's so opaque that they did not even release copies of the contract online, which is their standard operating procedure for um, for negotiations with the big three automakers, with uh, you know um, uh, Ford and Chevrolet and, and GM. Uh, that's their standard operating procedure when they do negotiations with the with the big three. They um, they release tentative agreements online that all of the members can look at. Well, this time they didn't even do that. They, uh, for some of the votes, they had you know these huge paper copies, unwieldy paper copies of, of the uh, of the agreements that you could come and pick up from the local hall if you wanted. Um, and other times they didn't even let workers look at the whole of the language before they voted on it. And I think that was the case with this last time as well. They only handed out highlight plant pamphlets, like okay, what are the highlights of this, without actually seeing the detail, like the real details of the agreement. It's kind of reminiscent of of you know how Congress. 
Pelosi's sometimes votes on things. You know, I mean, I think a lot of folks will remember Nancy Pelosi's. We've got to vote. Uh, we've got to vote for it so we can see what's in it, which is just, you know, normal people. Right. That's absurd. It's it's silly. That's a silly way. To, that's a silly way to run our society. It's a silly way to run bargaining for a union for a workplace. It's silly. It's not good. Um, so it was incredibly opaque, and uh, there was also just there was not a lot of support from the local and the international. Every time they came to the workers with an agreement, they were not straight with them. You know, they were like, "This is a good agreement. You should you should vote for it. You should you should do this and you should do that, and and just go back to work. Go back to work." And David, I think last week he said he uh, it was he said, and you know sometimes with. Uh, elected union officials with people who were, who they are staff on the union. Uh, there's some amount of perverse incentives there, right? Like, yeah, you know, and, and and that's just the way it is, and you've got to deal with that, and you've got to set up structures with that. But you know, there is some amount of per- perverse incentives where, uh, you know, union officials want their workers to go back to work um, because they want to keep keep the union flowing as a, you know, as opposed to um, making sure that the agreement is the best that, that the workers can get, which is very unfortunate. Well, um, and that's something that's been a, a hallmark of, of labor really since... Is your mic on? It should be. Okay. Can you hear me? D- let me see the OBS. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. So... Um, uh, the uh, uh, on the employer side, it doesn't look like your mic's on from from looking at the audacity. Uh, maybe check that out. But on the employer side, um, what happened? Well, they took advantage of the weak leadership, and um, and they threatened workers with implementation of the contract over their no vote. Um, which would not be good and a removal of their bonus. So they basically said that, okay, you know, look, if you vote to ratify it on this fourth try on the fourth vote, then you'll get a $2,000 sign on bonus. And if you don't, then no matter when it is that we finally, that we finally wrap it up, you won't get a sign on bonus, which is, which is, you know, really coercive. And so, um, and of course, you know, there, there's, uh, definitely threats um, uh, from the company in all sorts of ways and coercion from the company and 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 you know the contract that they offered itself uh, uh, was was coercive because it's like um you know you're not giving them what they're worth and so uh, what does it mean then for like I said for workers and for um, for uh, uh, people that aren't in unions, what does that mean? It means that sometimes uh, you do actually have to fight the boss and you have to fight uh, the union to a certain extent. And in fact, the guest that we were going to talk to, she filed a ULP against her local president, an unfair labor practice against her local union president uh, for their lack of transparency in bargaining, which uh, in case there are in case there's any any confusion about where we would stand on that, uh, that's cool as hell and very, you know, I mean, very cool. If you're elected officers, the officers don't work. They're not supposed to work for the company. They work for you. And so if they're not doing their jobs, screw them, right? File ULPs against them. You know, fight them. 
Uh, and and that's that's great. And um, and 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 so the you know it it just goes into this the larger kind of UAW strategy and some some business union strategies of cooperation over agitation and organization. And I remember reading an interview. I can't remember where it was. I think maybe it was by Chris Chris Brooks did it, uh, where he talked to. Um, somebody who had been in the union for a very long time, and they remember getting um, jackets or something with the UAW logo logo right next to the uh, GM logo. And they were like, what the hell is this? You know, we're not on the same team. We're not we're not on the same team. And this is it's not like he was interviewing like a socialist or a communist or anything. This was just a union person who recognized the um the 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 fact that, <laughs> that they're not on the same team, right? Your boss is not on your team insofar as, you know, your material conditions go, especially if you're in the private sector. Um you know, I mean, uh it, it, it it's it's not and and so that jacket with a UAW logo and with a GM logo is really kind of indicative of uh, of of a broader strategy of cooperation over organization, and, and that's not going to be good for workers. And so sometimes you are going to have to fight the union. But here's the thing. It's better than fighting the boss alone. Um, Rhonda, the person that we were going to be talking to today, uh, she told me in the brief conversation we had yesterday that she has been energized by the strike more than she ever has before, and she is looking forward to keeping in touch, and I'm looking forward to keeping in touch with her, seeing what she does for her sisters and brothers at Volvo. We're going to wrap up our conversation on the Volvo strike on the other side of this break, and we'll be taking your calls, so make sure you stay tuned. This is the Valley Labor Report. If you're looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Iron Workers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Iron Workers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256 383 3334 that's 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at net. and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. Jacob Morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator Adam Keller. We've been trying to break down the Volvo strike for you as best we can. So, 
So we, we talked about how, you know, the, um, uh, you know, sometimes you do, you are going to have to fight uh, elected officials in your union who have gotten too comfy with the boss, um, but it's better than fighting the boss without a union. There are going to be some people who criticize unions and they say, instead, of you, you need to throw away your union card and you need to form a rank and file committee. And, you know, so the question I would have for people like that is, how is it easier to organize rank and file people without a union contract in place to protect workers for organization even if even if the protection that the union offers is minimal in what scenario are you better off without a union because what you're doing ostensibly for the workers which the boss would say it's for the workers too the boss isn't going to come out and say they're not going to come out and say, I hate the workers. I want them to die. I want them to be poor. And that's why I'm giving, I'm not giving them the raises that they are asking for and why I'm taking this huge bonus. They're not going to say that. They're going to say something about blah, 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 markets, my labor's worth more, blah, 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 innovation nonsense, right? We all recognize that as nonsense. But they're ask, they want people to throw away their union cards. They want people to decertify their union. They want people to vote no in a union election. And uh, so when it's not just because, like, they wouldn't spend so much money fighting the union. Like, they're not, you know, as, as kind, of, kind of wicked and evil and self-interested <laughs> as corporations can be. They're not stupid, right? If unions helped the bosses... Uh, they wouldn't fight them. They wouldn't fight them. And so the fact that, that, that bosses are so anti-union should give you some pause as somebody who is ostensibly a worker advocate who advocates against union organization. And Rhonda Sisk, remember, she filed an unfair labor practice against her union president. That's huge, right? That doesn't happen often. Um... And she has she told me yesterday that there are some people at the Volvo plant that are so pissed off and rightfully so at their union that uh, they're gonna they they told her that they're gonna throw away their union card and they're gonna you know they're gonna save the seventy dollars a month or whatever that their dues are and you know she said she said that every time someone says that she says no don't do that that's one right that's what the boss wants right, right <laughs> so right. it's not going to help you and i can hear you now adam that's not going to help you doing what the boss wants um and so what is she doing then as somebody who's obviously very who is also and obviously pissed off at her local president pissed off enough to file an unfair labor practice which again is not common that does not happen very often that you see somebody filing un an unfair labor practice against their uh their own union right um she is one retaining her membership and she says that she is even getting she's going to be getting more active in her union and she's going to be more of a uh, thorn in the side of her leadership and you know she said that that um for, she's only been there for three years, and, and she doesn't even really necessarily need the work um, uh, because her, her husband works, and she wasn't actually planning on staying there full time. But after this strike, it has so energized her, and she was like, she told me that I'm not the type of person you want to make angry. And she said that, that Volvo and the UAW have made her angry. 
So she's going to stay and she's going to fight and she's going to organize within the union. She's going to fight for more democratic and open and transparent bargaining processes, which we have talked about on the show. We've talked about with people who have done this successfully. You can go back and watch our interview with the um, with the uh, uh, the NYU Grad Workers Union. They talked about how open bargaining was so important. Uh, you can talk to folks at, at the News Guild. You can read the stuff online about how important open bargaining is, and that just means that open bargaining, what does that look like? That means every member who's going to be affected by the contract can actually see negotiations as they happen. Everybody gets input. You take surveys of what the membership wants. You, the bargaining committee is elected out of the rank and file. The bargaining committee is transparent with what they're asking for from the boss and and the the demands are uh made by the membership on the bargaining committee and all of these things and that's going to help strengthen the union uh and make it make it better make it more democratic and that's going to be better for the workers and that's you know um so so but that can be scary for folks who are used to doing it a certain way uh i mean you and I both know some folks who are good union people who would be hesitant to engage yeah. in that kind of strategy. And it's because, for one thing, it's just the institutional atrophy that happens over right. time. You get used to doing things a certain way. Uh, and some of it is fear. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know, you know, it, in my experience on a bargaining team, one of the biggest concerns was how transparent can we be when we know there are people in the union who will run back to management? Right. You know, unfortunately, you get a group more than more than one and the chances go up that you have a snitch in your midst. Uh, So those are, you know, it's real concerns that folks have. It's not always, you know, just like leaders kind of stuck in their ways, but there are legitimate issues to work through. And I think that's what your point is, that the more democratic your union and Mm -hmm. the more rank and file members are engaged in how it operates, Right. That's that's where your strength comes from. It's from that democratic input. And, you know, I think uh, Rhonda's right on. This is not the time to abandon your membership. This is the time to strengthen your membership mm-hmm. and to run for office yourself, to form a caucus within the union. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the time to, you know, to rally those folks who are upset right. about the about the contract and yeah, see and what you got- can do to improve it next time. Uh, yeah, don't don't give in to that boss's wish right to abandon because they're hoping number one they get a contract that favors the company yeah but number two that if it does favor the company enough workers will see that and be pissed and you know abandon the union which just means the next contract will be even more in the company's favor right so don't don't give in to that temptation i know that it you know it's it's a real thing uh it's certainly hard to avoid those emotions uh in the midst of of a heated loss you know it mm-hmm. it happens uh but the thing about unions is there is democratic accountability to working people so you see these debates a lot of times about you know should you operate inside or outside you know a political party like the democrats mm-hmm. for example but that's a different totally well, there's different. some similarities uh it's a different you know it's a different game than operating inside of a union right yeah and that's you know um the uh it it is really important the um you know that that and and that you mentioned there are some there 
even potentially, let's say, if even this this UAW, like I don't know what what's in their hearts. Maybe that's that's what they think is best for the workers. Like I don't know, but it's you know it's pretty obvious looking from the outside and actually talking to rank and file workers that they don't think that this is what's in their best interest. And uh, so as as unions, we need to strengthen our democratic processes and make sure that that the members are the ones that ultimately control the thing. And so what Rhonda's going to be doing is she's she's going to be doing exactly that, getting more active in, in her union. And um, and one of the things that's happening in the UAW internationally is they're having a one member, one vote referendum in the um, in the fall, I think it is, which will create direct elections for the international leadership, which is something that the international leadership has been somewhat insulated from member opinion for a very long time, uh, because they've been elected by delegates or by officers or some some something something like that, and instead of a direct election by the membership, uh, which does insulate them to a certain degree. And so she's going to be fighting for the increased democracy in her international union. She's going to be fighting for one member, one vote, and then after that uh you know she's got she's like i've got six years before this contract is over and uh you better believe that we're going to be ready next time and that's just so exciting and that is that's the opposite of what the boss wants and that's the opposite of what some some people that are ostensibly for the workers are are going to tell you to do as a as a result of this which would be to turn in your union card which is which is not it's not going to help you it's not going to help you to turn in your union card it's not going to help you not to have a union on the job it, it simply isn't and we can go through all the stats that show that union members have it better right and not for nothing they make higher wages. They have better health care. They have better retirement. They work l- less hours. They, uh, you know, any anything that you can think of about work, union members have it better. Um, and and so, like, as somebody who is ostensibly in favor of union or in favor of uh, supporting the workers, you know, like you've got to reckon with that. And a lot of people they just they just simply don't. Um, and so, wherever you do have to fight against the union and the boss, do it. Fight against the union and the boss. Fight against the the um, the union officials, uh, the the union bureaucrats, so to speak. Right where, where you have to, and uh, and and you know, um, another another reason that people lean to the lack of democracy and lack of transparency is because sometimes it can just simply be easier. You know, growing up, right. everybody hurt you. Everybody knows that the right thing to do is not always the easy thing to do, and it's hard. To be a good democratic and transparent union, um, it's where, very messy. It, yeah. it can be slower. Right, right. There, you know, there are certain drawbacks to it, but uh, but we believe that that's the right way to go, and we believe that that is what is going to increase worker power. So, yeah, and I think even even a lackluster union is better than no union. Absolutely. Even a lackluster contract is better than no contract. Yeah. Uh, and, the, and the union is the workers united, not the institutions, and that's that's where our strength comes from. Yep. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. My name is Dr. Zach Hyden, and I am the executive director of the Automotive Free Clinic. I hold a PhD from Berkeley and two Automotive Service Excellence certifications. The Automotive Free Clinic is a 501c3 nonprofit shop in Prattville, Alabama, and I have seven years of experience in the automotive field. 
We began as a pandemic project in March of 2020 with a dream of providing free and low-cost automotive repair to disadvantaged people. Our shop works by providing parts to community members at commercial cost and labor is on a pay-what-you-can basis. Our shop was a mobile repair shop for approximately one year. During that time, we repaired almost 70 vehicles and gave away two vehicles to needy community members. We need your help to continue providing this service. Our staff of about 12 are all volunteers, including two technicians, but we do have overhead, including shop rent, insurance, service manuals, tools, and utilities. To make a donation, please visit automotivefreeclinic.org. Thank you. Here in Huntsville, federal employees are an invaluable part of the nation's defense, offering unmatched expertise in engineering and technology and as stewards of taxpayer dollars. What we ask for in return is to be treated with fairness, dignity, and respect. The American Federation of Government Employees, AFGE, Local 1858, is a union of working people looking out for each other, making sure that we're treated right. To inquire about joining or to learn more, call 256-876-4880. Labor creates all wealth. All wealth should go to labor. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host Adam Keller. We got a caller. Um, Joe Marshall is. He was a... um, he, he was a member of the uh, Steelworkers for a very long time, and he made some good points, and, you know, um, which is that, you know, and, and like, like, like I said, this, so, so to be fair, to be fair, this is, we are kind of looking at this situation from an outside perspective. I have talked to some of the, so, uh, I- at least one rank and file worker down, down there, and, and she does seem to be pretty active. That's Rhonda. Um, and, and, but, you know, he said that. <clears throat> That they were they were very transparent that he was when he was on bargaining committees with with his union and um and and uh, there were times when they asked for rank and file input that uh, the rank and file just simply didn't engage they didn't come to meetings they didn't you know they they just didn't engage and so like you know it that it's very hard to um you know and so that's that's another reason that having a, a really you know really robust kind of democratic participation is difficult because sometimes people like and and you know again not without reason they just want to go to work and they just want to go home and you know and it's easier it is easier to let somebody else do everything for you and i think those of us that are really active in the labor movement have our fair share of of complaints about people uh, who will who who are in the rank and file and who don't participate and who don't contribute and then come 
negotiations or come uh, a vote on or come election time or something like that, they'll complain and they'll say, oh, why isn't this in there? Why isn't that in there? You didn't do this or you didn't do that. And and complaining about the the union officials who are the only people who are, you know, and, I, and and again, I don't know exactly, you know, maybe there there's robust rank and file participation and the union official here in, in, at, at UAW 2069 is totally, totally pushing back against that. Or maybe there's something in the middle or maybe maybe these people got activated by the strike and we'll see them more active going forward. But obviously there is there's like, you know, not like there there it, there is a tendency and I don't want to fall into that of saying that every time somebody does something that seems as a union official that seems to maybe be against the workers interest or something like that that they've got a bad heart that they're trying to do the workers wrong that they're really just like in the pocket of the boss so to speak because a lot of times um you know they're the only folks in their union that are willing to do the work. And that's a really difficult spot to be in if you can't get if you can't pull in member participation and and then to try to try to do everything to the best of your ability only to be criticized as a stooge and as a, you know, all this after after putting in a lot of long hours. You know, I know people that have been criticized as as union bureaucrats and 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 really terrible people that I actually have a lot of criticisms of myself, but I also know that they uh, they have been during during a strike that they were negotiating for. They spent they spent night after night after night after night at the union hall on an air mattress in their office. And the first thing that they did in the morning when they woke up, and the last thing that they did in the morning in the evening when they went down was work for the union, work for the membership, and you know. There are a lot of criticisms that, that that I have of the people that I've got in mind, but um, would I say that they, that those people specifically that I have personal knowledge of are in the pocket of the company that they're trying to screw over the workers? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So Joe Marshall uh, called in and 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 he had a couple other things that he wanted to add. I just there were those were a couple things that you said over the break that I wanted to that I wanted to bring out. So Joe, thank you for calling in and thank you for listening to the show. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Jacob. Thanks for one for the show. And I appreciate seeing uh, what I'm on. What I'm on categorize as young fellers take up the reins of the labor movement. Uh, we certainly need more of that. Uh, I'd be considered an old guy now, and probably an <laughs> old schooler. And I'm sure some things have changed since I retired, but it, it couldn't have changed that much in that short period of time. But mm-hmm. Jacob, you stated what I had told you about as well as I could have done it, if not better. But let me just touch on a couple of things. Uh, Transparency, for instance. Uh, We tried to be as absolute transparent as we could be during negotiations. Uh, Short short of putting out newsletters and so forth for the company to read, we didn't do anything like that. We certainly had union meetings monthly, and and if it was an ongoing negotiation, we certainly updated the membership where we was at. But there were certain things that went across the table during negotiations that uh, not often but sometimes got tabled and slid aside for later on in the negotiations. So we didn't want to go back and tell our members, oh, we've achieved this Hmm. or that. And then uh, the next day, you know, that goes off the table or or things change because it's negotiations, a little give and take. Uh, But let me... me 
when when we did have a last final and best offer from the company, we would take that to a special called union meeting, and of course it was to to vote on. But this might sound a little strange, but but we made our membership in order to vote actually come and listen at the proposal and the contract changes. Mm-hmm. Now, we had members who who picked up on little bits and pieces during negotiations out on the shop floor and, and had made up their mind either way before even hearing the proposal who, who basically got fighting mad because they had to attend the meeting yeah. approximately an hour <laughs> right. to hear what the proposal was and that right. that really bothered me but there was there was a lot of that so mm-hmm. so them same members uh they want you to be transparent yeah but then again they don't really want to know you know they just want to get it over with one way or the other uh and I'll get I'll get off that subject but let me let me say let me say uh on the two-tier thing that y'all been discussing Probably the worst thing that 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 I can remember coming down the pipe was was two tier wages, and mm-hmm. you know we had members we had members who who basically would say, well, why should I care about the guy that ain't even been hired here yet? Well, here's the real problem in that: if you got an aging workforce, if you got an aging workforce, uh, at some point in time, those members on the two tier, the bottom tier, are going to outnumber the ones on the top. Mm-hmm. And when a contract proposal comes down and they offer these guys $2 an hour, for instance, to cut the guys to cut the guys on the top $5 an hour, what do you think they're going to do? So right. people should be concerned about the two-tier. Eventually it'll catch up with you and and and, and be your worst nightmare. Right. Uh, one more thing, the, uh, the so-called bonuses the so-called ratification bonuses that these companies throw out there. If if there's a ratification bonus in that contract proposal, then you got to know that that the true meaning of that is a a, a concession bonus. Yep. You take a concession and we're going to drop this amount of money on you. And and most of the time they've done the math to where three, five, six year contract, whatever it's going to be don't look like you're losing much. But the minute you make them concessions and take their little $3,500 or whatever ratification bonus, it's gone forever. Right. Uh, it don't take long for that to catch up with you. Uh, and and, you, and you, you're going to really struggle getting back what you had if that's ever possible. Now, one other thing, and I get off here. No, this, about no yeah, this is, this uh, is great. And 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 going back for about what you went out for on the on the first offer, I, I walked the strike for approximately eight weeks, uh, and it was it was over wages at the time. Company was offering basically the industry standard uh, percentage raises year to year, and and. And we literally wasn't going to accept that. We wanted, we we basically wanted two percent more than what they has offered year to year, and uh, we struck. Now after eight weeks, people are getting hungry. They getting antsy. Uh, things ain't going real well. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
international and the officers trying to do the best they can to hold the thing together. Fortunately, when I walked that eight-week strike, we had nobody cross the picket line. But when they finally made another proposal, uh, we accepted that, basically for what we went out for. Hmm. Don't sound good on the surface, and it, and it wasn't. We 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 lost a strike in so many words. Right. But this was a three-year contract. When we went to the bargaining table the next time, the very first thing out of the out of the company's lawyer's mouth, I mean, the very first thing was, "Look, y'all showed y'all manhood last contract, and we showed ours. All we want to do is get a contract." And literally. Literally, they slid one concession across the table. We slid it back to them and told them we wasn't interested in it. And uh, it went back in their briefcase, never to come up again. So so long story short on that, sometimes where you think you wasn't successful in that strike, in the future it may very well it may very well help you we we actually set a record that next time as far as uh, negotiating and having something to deliver to the membership without a concession on it, and it flew about as quick as I ever seen one go, and, and folks were satisfied. Yeah. Now, granted, you're still looking at the next contract, right? And uh, that that next three year contract, they're getting their ducks in a row. The company mm-hmm. to. Uh, <sighs> Probably right. yeah. Joe, we're coming you with some pretty hard concessions in the next time. Right. But listen, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get off here, man. Like I say, I appreciate what y'all do. Uh, keep us informed. These are the kind of shows I really like. All workers deserve fair wages, affordable health care, and a retirement plan that enables them to retire with dignity. All workers deserve to have a say about the terms and conditions of their employment, not just the bosses. With the Machinist Unions, over 600,000 members having our back, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama has been serving workers' interests for over 20 years. Our members have the best health insurance in the area with zero deductible plans. We set the bar for pay in the area with over $40 an hour rates, consistently averaging the highest non-college degree jobs in North Alabama with some of the best retirement plans in the industry. We can do the same for you. Together, we remain united, raising our voices to ensure justice on the job and service in the community. The Machinist Union is a true Southern Union founded in Atlanta in 1888. We've been serving members' needs for 132 years. The longevity of our union proves our dedication and loyalty to the working class. The Machinist Union isn't just for machinists. We represent workers in government, health care, auto workers, aerospace workers, transportation workers, the defense industry, and woodworking. Our members even build the iconic Harley-Davidson motorcycles. If you're ready to get serious about better benefits and wages, if you want to have a voice in your workplace with over 600,000 members to back you up, call or email us today at 256-286-3704 or organize at iamaw44.org. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator Adam Keller. Uh, 
Let's go right into what happened. Well, did you have anything else that you wanted to say? Yeah, I just wanted to shout out Mr. Marshall. I, I always love it when our elders, you know, and I mean that with with all respect, when our elders call in and, and share some some knowledge they uh, gained over the years. Uh, he had a lot of really great stuff in there. Uh, the two-tier is such a massive problem in our contracts. Um, and even those of you who don't have contracts, it's also coming up in retirement packages. Yeah. Um, you know, if you are an educator in the state of Alabama, you are subject to a two-tier retirement pension. You know, mm-hmm. so on the one hand, you're, you're kind of lucky. Uh, it's a unique situation to still have a defined uh, benefit pension. But that was a major setback for right. educators and other state employees. And I, I really, you know, something that resonated with me was also that, quite frankly, sometimes the loudest complainers among your membership right. are the ones who never come to meetings. <laughs> yeah. They, you know, they never read the newsletter. They never yep. do anything. Uh, but those are the first to get up and, and gripe about, uh, you know, a contract mm-hmm. or a vote. Oh, yeah. I I know that David, if he were here, he'd have some stories. Yeah. And even in my short participation, I'm now the chair of the elections committee for my local right now, and we're going through elections. And I've had a few people complain at me, and I'm like, look, man, I'm doing my best, and I'm not getting paid for it, okay? So, like, you know, chill with your— <laughs> Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, the thing complaining is— Complaining about me. That, that's, that's the nature of any volunteer exactly. organization. Any, um, any work that you do to try to make society better, uh, there are only so many people that are interested in doing it, and if you put yourself on the front, then you're going to get the brunt of it. So. Yeah, and that that's why it is, though, so important to keep always expanding your numbers and yep. getting more people involved so that you don't risk burning out uh, and so that you don't risk folks who do get kind of complacent or comfortable, uh, not through any malice, but just right. through human nature and just through time passing. So the more you yep. can you know, continually expand and uh, you know, have generational uh, diversity. Mm-hmm. Those things are very, very important. So, and I do think that that was that was a good. I feel like that was a good balance to uh, to the first thirty minutes that we spent talking about the Volvo strike because you know, and I think that there there are still there there are. I, I don't think that anything that I said was wrong, but it is it is a good, but especially for folks that aren't in unions, it's a good context, a good lens for people to have because uh, you know that that Joe gave us because. We, uh, you know, Adam and I and everybody in the audience that are in unions, we have that lens. And so, like, everything that, that we that we say that's critical of officers in the labor movement, of people in the labor movement, it is through that lens. But it's important to to uh, say that explicitly, I think. so. Yeah, because at the end of the day, you know, I know for you and I, like, our loyalty is with the movement and yep. not the institutions themselves. Right. Um, but that said, you know, the institutions, we're, we're always going to defend them mm-hmm. from the bosses and the politicians, 100%. Yeah. And, and even, you know, like, like even, even like you said, a lackluster union um, that, that, may have, that may have kind of atrophied over time, it is a lot better having that, having that institution there is a lot better than, than not. It still gives you a vehicle exactly. to, to create change. Exactly, exactly. So uh, what happened last week in Southern Labor? Uh, this segment is brought to you by Jonah Furman. You can subscribe to his newsletter to get the rest of what happened in U.S. labor on Substack. That is uh, who gets the bird 
www.substack.com. So let's jump right into new organizing. 96 staffers at DC-based 501c3 Defenders of Wildlife are unionizing with OPEIU Local 2. 104 transportation and maintenance workers for Corpus Corpus Christi Regional Transportation in Corpus Christi, Texas, are organizing with the Transportation Workers Union. 45 security guards at the Customs and Border Patrol building in El Paso are unionizing with SPFPA. Six bricklayers and masons for furnace parts supplier special fa- specialty foundry products in Bessemer, Alabama, are organizing with the bricklayers Local 8 Southeast. Woot Four workers in Carmoose, which makes limestone and limestone products, are joining the steel workers in Macon, Georgia. We had a couple of NLRB wins. 38 workers at Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits in San Antonio, Texas, voted 18 to 9 to join Teamsters Local 657. Six staffers at the Ohio River Valley Environmental Coalition in Huntington, West Virginia, voted 3 to 0 to unionize with the IWW, despite management firing uh, at least one, maybe more, of the organizers. Uh, and we have a connection there, Brendan Bates. Uh, he is a fellow worker in the IWW. Both of us are dual carters in the IWW. We've had, I've had many conversations with him, Dave, or Adam has had one uh, at least one with him he's a very good guy very good guy and so uh we believe that he will be reinstated at some point in the future so we are looking forward to seeing another win for the iww in west virginia after he gets reinstated uh there were a few losses and decertifications um 28 warehouse workers for a UPS supply chain solutions, uh, which is somehow different from UPS, whose warehouse workers are all union uh, in the largest private sector union contract in the United States. 28 warehouse workers for UPS supply chain solutions in Memphis voted 11 to 13 against joining Teamsters Local 667. 70 security guards at EPA headquarters in Washington, D.C. are forming an independent union, which appears to have broken away from SPFPA, though somehow GUSP is also involved. UGSO is raiding a unit of eight FAA security guards in Hapeville, Georgia, currently represented by the Protection and Response Officers of America. Strike and bargaining updates. Uh, We just finished talking about the Volvo strike, but for those that are just now tuning in, the 2,900-worker Volvo strike in Dublin, Virginia, has ended somewhat ingloriously. You can listen to our uh, talk about that on YouTube uh, from the beginning of the show. 1,100 UMWA coal miners are still on strike, and their actions are ramping up with another march in New York City planned for July the 28th and a huge rally in Brookwood scheduled for August the 4th. 20 barbers at Fort Lee Armor Army Base in Prince George County, Virginia, represented by the Laborers International Union, struck last week. 
uh, and Jonas shouted out the ILR labor action tracker, uh, the ILR labor action tracker for catching that one. At issue there is the fact that haircutters who work for a contractor, Sheffield Barbers, get 55% of the fee for a haircut, but when the contractor raised the price from $11.25 to $13, Barbers found that they were still only getting 55% of the lower price. As many as 690 metal workers at Arnold Air Force Base in Tullahoma, Tennessee, were on strike for nine days with Air Engineering Metal Trades Council with a ratification vote to come uh, yesterday morning. So we will uh, see what happened there next I, week. I do believe that contract was ratified. It was and, ratified. And I think the strike is over. Thank you, Adam. Uh, and and Jonah mentions that it's interesting there that uh, there's almost no information about that, despite it being a pretty big labor action in the South on a military base, which yeah. is like triply unusual, which goes to show the, you know, I don't know. It is, and it and the only thing bonkers. I've been able to find is like local Tullahoma newspaper, yeah. and even that's been you know pretty short on details. So that's that's a running theme on this show is that there right. is a lack of media coverage for uh, the labor movement and labor issues. Teamsters with Local 639 have unanimously voted to authorize a strike against capital paving in Washington D.C. and are expected to vote down the latest contract offer. Bartlesville, Oklahoma firefighters are at an impasse in their contract and contract negotiations as well. There's some internal union politics updates. Bloomberg Law has an interesting look at the number of ULPs workers are filing against their own unions. We mentioned that Rhonda Sisk filed an unfair labor practice against her union president. They were down dramatically in 2020 and seem to be down in 2021 as well, and it is not attributable to job losses. So that would be interesting to figure out what's up with that. Politics and legislation, the Houston Firefighters Association, in their long struggle with the mayor, have gathered enough signatures to get binding arbitration to put on the ballot for a referendum this fall. This is of particular interest to the firefighters there who have been in legal battles over a raise since 2017. And so binding arbitration, why are they fighting to get binding arbitration? Isn't binding arbitration bad? Well, not always. See, binding arbitration is bad when it is putting contracts without the input of workers uh, and their unions, binding arbitration can be put into union contracts where there is a neutrally decided arbitration panel instead of an arbitration panel decided completely by the company. So company arbitration, bad. Union arbitration, good. Firefighters in Houston are fighting for the good one. This month, Joe Biden announced a pay raise for federal firefighters to bring them up to $15 an hour. And the National Federation of Federal Employees, which is a machinist's affiliate, uh, is urging the administration to build on that progress for federal firefighters. And finally, the PRO Act has some hope of passing in the Infrastructure Reconciliation Bill, which is good so that's going to segue us i thought we would have more time especially since we didn't have a, a guest but gosh we just it time absolutely flies time absolutely flies so um before you get on the pro act i, I think it's worth uh mentioning that we do have over uh 600 members at the frito lay 
plant in Topeka, that's Kansas, right. even though that's outside of the South. Um, that is one of the most visible strikes happening right now. Um, Labor Notes has some good reporting on that. And also a friend of the show, Max Alvarez with the Working People podcast, just put out an episode this week uh, with on-the-ground reporting from that Frito-Lay strike. Uh, I, I, my understanding is you have 80-hour work weeks. Yeah. You have Seven twelves. Uh, 70 cent, 77 cent increase over 12 years for these workers. Uh, just totally ridiculous. So, yeah. you know, if you're at the gas station, at the grocery store, and, you know, getting some munchies, getting some Frito-Lay chips, uh, think about that. <laughs> think about the fact that those workers who are producing those items are, are definitely getting screwed. They need our support right now. So I uh, encourage you to check out Labor Notes and check out Working People. Uh, we need to stay tuned to this Frito-Lay strike. Absolutely. So uh, the PRO Act, some portions of it have a chance to pass through the Reconciliation Infrastructure Bill. So let's have a quick review. I was hoping we'd be able to dive more into it this week, but maybe we can do a deeper dive next week um, or, or subsequent weeks. So what is the PRO Act? The PRO Act is the largest piece of uh, positive labor law reform since uh the National Labor Relations Act, really. I mean, it just does so much. It eliminates right to work uh, across the country. It would um, it would mandate, which this is something that a lot of people, especially conservative uh, talk radio hosts, purposely, I think, uh, misunderstand. It would mandate that uh, uh, employers follow the law in union elections by um, saying that if you don't follow the law, in a union election and before the union election more than 50% of the workforce said that they wanted a union then if you violate the law then the, the government will certify the union uh, regardless of the vote outcome which is important because that is actually going to give them an, an incentive to make sure that there is a free and fair election um, wait you mean companies might actually face consequences for breaking the law it's weird I thought that was just regular people that, that face those consequences and it's really weird that conservatives would be against that but you know yeah but it's funny, it's funny how law and order just doesn't apply yeah of course, of course. Um, it would also institute uh, real consequences for firing pro-union workers. It would allow the NLRB to levy fines. Um, it would, I mean, there's just so much. It would make legal uh, secondary strikes where workers at one workplace in a uh, in, in a, a manufacturing line uh, want to go on a sympathy strike for other workplaces to try to put pressure on, you know, the, the larger system. And uh, so some of that sounds like, well, how's that going to pass through reconciliation? Because reconciliation is just about the federal government's budget and things can only pass reconciliation if they affect the federal government's budget. So, like, some of that doesn't sound like it can pass through reconciliation. And the Communication Workers of America have a good uh, a good explainer on what they think can make it through reconciliation. We are going to give that to you on the other side, and we're going to talk about Huntsville. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. Hey. You listen to conservative talk radio all week. Why don't you try something different for a change? The Majority Report with Sam Cedar is a five-time award-winning daily left-wing political talk show. We go live every weekday at 11 a.m. Central Time on our YouTube channel. You can find it by searching for The Majority Report. 
We talk about the news. We take libertarian callers. We have debates. We interview guests on topics ranging from the post-Civil War Reconstruction era, child poverty, capitalism, the intellectual dark web, and more. And that's all just within the last month. If you want to hear what smart, progressive political talk that is occasionally amusing sounds like, then you need to tune in. And you're always welcome to call in if you want to hear the correct opinion on any given topic. I will give it to you. Tune in to the Majority Report at 11 a.m. Central Time on YouTube or later wherever you get your podcasts. Put it there, boy, and we'll show these fascists what a couple of hillbillies can do. All power to the workers. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller. Uh, We've been talking about the PRO Act. The PRO Act, or parts of it, have a chance at passing through the infrastructure reconciliation bill. So, like I mentioned, this is a broad, a very broad piece of legislation, and we know that reconciliation... Uh, The only things that can pass through reconciliation are things that directly affect the federal budget. So what are the things that have a chance of passing through uh, reconciliation in the PRO Act? The CWA has a handy budget reconciliation fact sheet, Um, and they believe that there are four major provisions that can make it through budget reconciliation. The first is to restore and enhance tax deduction for union dues. Um, Previously, union members were able to deduct taxes uh, from, like, they were able to deduct their union dues from their taxes, um, but, but here's something that's interesting that you won't hear about. The 2017 uh, Trump quote-unquote tax cut raised taxes for union members because it it disallowed us from being able to uh, deduct our dues from taxes. So the tax cut was that that that's another example of how it was really only for the corporations. The second, it would end tax deductibility of the costs of hiring permanent strike replacements. This would prevent businesses from deducting from their taxes expenses incurred in fighting workers' efforts to unionize, the hiring of strike replacements, and any other expenses used to fight the workers or their unions. Uh, and it's insane that you can deduct taxes for that, uh, which uh, for which corporations spend millions of dollars and workers can't deduct the 40 to 70 dollars a month that we spend in dues i mean just 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 insane uh three it would reduce the misclassification of employees as independent contractors the current tax code allows companies to continue to misclassify workers as independent contractors even if the irs determines they are employees the solution is to establish tax penalties for companies that misclassify employees as independent contractors Properly classified employees would have the right to form a union, collectively bargain, and receive benefits, which currently, as misclassified, quote-unquote, independent contractors, they do not have. Fourth and finally... 
civil penalties for unfair labor practices. One of the main reasons why we need labor reform right now is that companies only receive a slap on the wrist for violating workers' rights and committing unfair labor practices. Budget reconciliation should establish uh, financial penalties for unfair labor practices and hopefully apply those penalties to the new uh, unfair labor practices under fair, unfair labor practice statute created under the PRO Act, like the PRO Act's ban on captive audience meetings and permanent strike replacement, permanent striker replacement. So that, there's your update on the PRO Act and its chances of passing through reconciliation. Adam, what happened last week in Huntsville? Well, uh, before we get to Huntsville, I think since you left off on captive audience meetings, I think it's worth mentioning that we have some oh, brothers I and sisters. About that. Uh, Gosh, there's so much going on. Yeah, so we have brothers and sisters over in Georgia who actually make Ray-Ban sunglasses and other uh, glasses uh, found at Lens Crafters and those kind of places. And they have accused the company of union busting. Uh, now, Ray-Ban is actually owned uh, by an Italian uh, let's see, and I'm probably butchering the pronunciation here. Luxottica uh, is the company involved. And like I said, they make Ray-Bans. They make various other glasses. And in Italy, of course, they have good relations with the labor movement and unions there. But they have been taking advantage of the weak labor law environment in the United States, especially here in the American South. So you have about 2,000 employees in Georgia who are hoping to unionize, uh, and they have been dealing with many of the same tactics that Amazon unleashed on the Bessemer employees. And that includes captive audience meetings. That includes using an app to push out disinformation and, and discourage uh, employees from thinking about unionizing. They've set up their own little website uh, to try to tell employees that unions are not in their best interest. So the, one of the interesting things about that, and I found this on uh, Reuters. So this was a, you know, a mainstream press uh, article that, that came out. And the unions actually appealed to the OECD, not the National Labor Relations Board. They actually went international on uh, this company which I thought was a, a good tactic. Uh, it's a little bit different. In the article, uh, the union actually comes right out and says, hey, we know the Labor Relations Board in, in the United States is, is weak as water, and it's uh, probably not going to do anything. And meanwhile, the company is going to just you know continue their tactics. So we took it international, hoping for some international sanction or relief of some kind, and if nothing else, to uh, get it into the press in Italy, uh, so that workers there realize that, you know, this company, you know, they may behave themselves over there in Europe, but that's because of the strength of their labor movement and the strength of the laws that labor movement has been able to achieve. It's not because European companies are, you know, so much nicer than American ones. It's not because European uh, CEOs are more benevolent. They just do what they can get away with. Yeah. And, and how shameful is it that the United States of America, the wealthiest country, in planet Earth, uh, is really a, an environment ripe for uh, labor abuse. Yeah. So, uh, real quick, a couple of things in Huntsville before we get out of here today. Um, I, I do want to mention on Monday, uh, the 19th, uh, City Councilman District 4 Bill Kling is holding some open office hours uh, at the downtown library. Shout out to Councilman Kling for actually being willing to engage and meet with constituents. 
Thursday, the 22nd, is the next Huntsville City Council meeting. You've heard us talk about the uh, long, long, long fight for criminal justice reform in Huntsville. And on that note, uh, our friends, the Citizens Coalition for Justice Reform, has an active email campaign targeting the city council and the mayor of Huntsville. If you haven't uh, followed that, if you haven't submitted your email, go ahead and do that to support their campaign. Even if you don't live in Huntsville, if you work or shop in Huntsville, or if you're one of our online listeners, maybe you're in California or New York or wherever you're listening from, fact is, by listening to this show, you've heard some of the pretty shameful uh, actions mm-hmm. of the city of Huntsville's government, uh, and it might not hurt for them to hear from you, too. Truthfully, they care about out-of-towners more than the people who live yeah. there anyway. Um, uh, do want to remind folks that... Uh, the State Board of Education did meet this week. As I mentioned earlier in a previous episode, they were going to talk about critical race theory, and it was uh, about as dumb as you could expect. Uh, AL.com did put out an article summarizing some of that discussion, and the United Women of Color is having a Unity Festival on August 22nd in Huntsville at Campus 805. They... Uh, just put that out this week. It's going to be a family-friendly event. So if you're looking for something to do with the kids, you want to support a good cause and some good activists, uh, put that on your calendar. And finally, I do want to remind everyone that budget hearings will be coming up very soon in your local governments and school boards. And there's been tens of millions of dollars flowing into these various entities in the federal stimulus budget funds. So if you're not sure how your local school board, county commission, or city go- city council is spending this influx of federal money, that's a good thing to, to ask questions about, and that's a good time to maybe go to a council meeting, go to a school board meeting, ask them what they're doing with all this new federal money. What were some of the highlights that you, you told me? Some uh, there, there was at least one good thing that they were doing. Yeah, uh, Huntsville City Schools is actually planning on using some of that funding to set up a training academy for employees, both their teachers and actual support staff, uh, so that they can actually get training and be paid for it. Which, for those of you who uh, don't work in education, it's that's kind of unusual. Uh, oftentimes, yeah. you're expected to go to training and professional development on your own dime, on your own time. So shout out to Huntsville City Schools uh, for actually coming up with a positive idea. Uh, I guess even a broken clock is right twice a day. So that's an example of how you could use that money in a positive direction. Uh, But I think it's going to take some citizen oversight and accountability to make sure it's used for the right reasons. Right. That's exactly right, Adam, and that is a fantastic place to leave it. You've been listening to the Valley Labor Report, um, and if you want to support the show and look cool while you're doing it, go to thevalleylaborreport.org and get one of our fantastic union-made hats. They are only $35, and that includes shipping. There are only 15 of them left, so make sure you get one while they last. We'll see you next week.